You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. All of us have priorities. We make decisions about what's going to come first, what's going to come second, what's going to come third, and so forth. Our priorities are the things that get our best. Our best energy, our best time, our best resources, our best passion, our best affections. Perhaps you want to take a moment and reflect What are my priorities? What gets my best? What's the most important thing in my life? It matters because when we prioritize some things, we implicitly make other things secondary or third. When we prioritize some things, we sacrifice other things. Or people. We've all heard stories of husbands or fathers who gave so much to their career that their families suffered. Prioritizing one means sacrificing the other, oftentimes. So how do we rank our priorities? What's the measure? How do, we, how do we make the decision about what comes first in our lives? And you won't be surprised to learn that we're not the first to consider the question, and Scripture offers us help. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul gives us his perspective on the question, what's the most important thing? What's the priority? What comes first? Or as Paul puts it, what is of first importance? And you won't be surprised that for Paul, the place of first importance goes to what? The gospel. The good news. Christ died and Christ was raised. For Paul, that message is most important. It has priority. It is his priority. It gets his best no matter what sacrifices are required. The striking thing about putting the gospel first and the Lord proclaimed in the gospel is that prioritizing the gospel means that the other people and things in our life don't get sacrificed. In fact, you could say, and Paul would have us know, that if the gospel has first place, Everything else in our lives will be in the right place. If the gospel has first place, all the, all the other pieces, all the other things, all of the people who matter to us will get our best. And so he offers that to the Corinthians and he offers it to us. As we reflect on this text, two questions will organize our thoughts. What is the gospel? 
and what does the gospel do? What is the gospel and what does the gospel do? Now some may be thinking, I've noticed in the Bible that the language of gospel kind of gets used in different ways. Sometimes we hear about the gospels, right? We're talking about those first four books at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and good for you. Tanya would give gold stars. I don't do that. The Gospels are the, the narratives, the stories of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. But the word Gospel is also used in a different way, isn't it? It's used the way that we've just read in 1 Corinthians 15. It's this, it's this core message. It's this news. It's this declaration about Jesus' death and resurrection. Declaration about the fact that He is the Christ, that He is the Lord, that He lives, and that He calls the nations to offer Him their allegiance. We've got the Gospels, the biblical stories of Jesus' life, and we've got the Gospel, that succinct, clear, brief, announcement the crucified and risen Jesus is Lord now a little context helps because Paul and the other Christians in the first century weren't the first ones to use the word gospel that word was around before and they found it useful so they grabbed it and integrated it into the mission of the church it's helpful to know what the word gospel means before the church got a hold of it, though. The word gospel basically means, like we said, some of our translations reflect it, good news or glad tidings. But it was used by a particular person for particular news. It was used by the Roman emperor to tell the empire the things he considered to be good news about him. And we have inscriptions from the first century before Jesus was born and, 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 and that period of time where, where you hear people like Augustus, Caesar Augustus, with inscriptions declaring the good news about him. And he's the savior of the empire. And he's the one who will bring blessing. And so that helps us see that this language, gospel, good news, before the church got a hold of it, was a message about a king who would bring what he thought was peace and what he thought was good for you, whether you agreed was inconsequential. <laughs> it's a royal announcement about a king and what he offers his people. The church says, we've got a king, and he offers his people good things. It's fitting that we call that the gospel. Not the gospel of the Roman Empire, not the gospel of Caesar, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I received it, I didn't invent it. This is not original to me. 
and I've offered it to you. What is it? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day. The Gospel is not complicated. It is not lengthy. It is not confusing. It is simple. It is straightforward. It is clear. And if it's true, and it is, then the Lord proclaimed in that good news requires all of us to offer Him our whole being, our complete allegiance. Christ died for us. Why do we need Him to die for us? Paul answers the question because of our sins. Because of our insistence on being God of our own life. Because of our rebellion. We don't like to talk about it. We certainly don't want other people to know about it. But when we're honest, we all know that we've chosen one time or another, to be God over ourselves. And when we choose to be God over ourselves, it creates distance between us and the one who is God, and God alone. Jesus, with his body, comes, takes humanity on the one side and God on the other, and unites them in his person, fully God and fully human. takes all the consequences that he required as God. Death on himself. In my place, condemned he stood. But God did not abandon him to the grave. He raised him up. and Gave him the name that is above every name. And the throne that is above every throne. And the new life that the resurrected Jesus has within himself, he offers to all who have been joined to him. His brothers and his sisters. The gospel is about how Jesus gives new life. And don't we need his life? I have endeavored every Sunday that I've stood before you to offer you the gospel. No sermon should ever be preached that doesn't land on and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. 
I dare say that if a sermon doesn't come to its climax in Jesus, in his gospel, in his death, and his resurrection, it is not worthy to be called a Christian sermon. And I charge you, do not entrust the ministry of this church to anyone who doesn't preach the gospel every Sunday. Find out and make sure. Why? Because this is the most important thing. I passed on to you, brothers and sisters, what I received, and I passed it on as of first importance. Why? Because Jesus is of greatest value. Because His love for us, revealed in His sacrifice, is perfect in every way and is sufficient in every way and can cleanse us and heal us and forgive us and redeem us and restore us and unite us with His Father and our Father. And it is incomparable in value. And we dare not stand before the people of God and dare to speak the Word of God and not exalt Jesus. Our only job is to declare Jesus. And if we get that right, the rest is just details. Other things will fall into place. If the gospel has first place, everything else is in the right place. And so Paul offers it to the Corinthians at the end of this very long letter. Because it's the most important thing. Because that's what he wants to leave them with. And if it's true, brothers and sisters, and it is, doesn't he deserve everything we have to offer him? Meager as it may be. Doesn't he deserve 100% of all that we are and all that he's made us? Shouldn't every word on my lips be yes to Jesus? Yes, Jesus. You want me to do that? Yes. You want me to go there? Yes. You want me to say this? Yes. We talk a lot about faith and trust. The word in the New Testament that gets translated with that language also means allegiance. Which you've heard me use that word a few times already today. And I would encourage you, think about the gravity of that. Jesus Christ is Lord over all things. It's not a theory. It's not a hypothesis. It's not conjecture. It's news about reality. And the one who reigns over all things, the one who loves us and gave himself for us, 
calls for and requires our unconditional and unqualified allegiance. When the gospel keeps first place, Jesus will get our allegiance. Because the gospel calls us to Jesus. It's not something we just pull out of the closet every once. It's not a quarterly celebration. The words of the gospel, Christ died for us and was raised for us, should be on our lips every day. And if they are, if they are, all else will be right. So what does the gospel do? How does it make things right? How does it put other things in their right place? Take a look at verse 2. I preached, I proclaimed to you the good news, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved. This kind of language that the gospel is the means or the instrument through which people are saved is pretty consistent in Paul's letters. You may remember Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to the Jew and the Gentile. Whatever this message is, one of the reasons it's first importance, it's of first importance, it's in first place, is because it's God's means to work powerfully to save people. You want to be saved? You need the gospel. You want your children to be saved? You need to give them the gospel. You want your neighbors to experience the perfect love of God in Christ and the Spirit? There's only one way for that to happen. Through the gospel. We're not ashamed of it. We shouldn't be, because God in His wisdom has decided to use those words, Christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day to rescue us from condemnation. So we don't have to go to hell. From guilt, so that we can be forgiven. And from the ongoing power of sin in our lives, so that we don't have to do the things that create separation between us and God and separation between us and those we care about the most. Notice the tense of the verbs. The gospel is that through which you are being saved. We don't talk like that very much, do we? At best, you'll hear somebody say, when I got saved. You know, I went down front when I was 12 or whatever, which is important. I don't want to denigrate that. But that's not the only tense, verb tense in the Bible for the language of salvation. Paul likes to talk about when you were saved. He also likes to talk about how God is now saving you and me, through which you are being saved. Right? Because salvation is way more than forgiveness. You need to be forgiven, absolutely. But we also need to be transformed. Completely, thoroughly, and comprehensively. Paul knows that. 
from experience. He goes on talking about how Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, to the other uh, of the twelve, to, to more than 500 people all at one time. Most of them are still alive, which means you can go ask them if you'd like to. James, and then he says he appeared to me. And I'm unfit. Somehow, he picked a persecutor. Like, I was literally, Paul says, killing his followers. Read Acts. Persecuting the church. Pushing against, like, you have the gospel, and the gospel is about the love of Jesus. And Paul says, I was trying to stop it with all of my energy, all of my connections, all of my network, all of my resources, my intellect, my passion, my affections. All of it was against the gospel. It was opposed to the gospel. And yet he loved me. I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. And here is what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters. If you treasure the gospel, if you cherish the gospel, the grace that it offers to you will not be in vain. Hold on to it. Grip it. Proclaim it. Meditate on it. Give thanks for it. Because if it can turn a persecutor of the church into an apostle of Jesus Christ, it can set you free from alcoholism. Or the fury that resides in your heart. Or the unforgiveness you have against him or her. The gospel is the power of God to save you. And Jesus is good. And he loves you enough to offer his life. So when the gospel gets first place, other things start getting sorted out, don't they? In Paul's life, when Jesus gets first place, everything else starts falling into place. Things start sorting. He, get, he gets what he doesn't deserve. He gets a new set of relationships. He gets a new relationship with God. He gets a new ministry team. He begins to flourish as a human being. And so it's not like, am I going to give myself to Jesus or the church? It's not like, am I going to give myself to Jesus or my friends? Remember, we're talking priorities. And, and we're like if we prioritize one thing, it feels like we're sacrificing something else. But the gospel doesn't work that way. Because if Jesus has my whole heart the people I love are going to get my best. If Jesus has my whole heart, if the Gospel has my allegiance, if the Lord has my affections and my love, then He will be reproducing His life and His character in me, and that will overflow into every aspect of my life and being, whether it's my marriage, my children, my work, my recreation, whatever. This is why Paul, when he's instructing families in Ephesians 5, 
doesn't just give them a list of like seven tips for good parenting and husbanding and things. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved his church and did what? Gave himself for her. You prioritize the gospel, your wife gets your best. It's not one or the other. He tells fathers regarding their children. I don't even have it marked, but this is what he says. Don't provoke your children. Nurture them in the Lord. Cultivate them. Nurture them. If Jesus is overflowing in your life, your kids are going to get your best. And if they're not, it may be a good indicator that Jesus is not overflowing in your life. If Jesus is in first place, if the gospel that declares His perfect love is in first place, everything else is in the right place. If Jesus has my whole heart, the people around me are going to experience Him and be drawn to Him and be rescued by Him and made whole by Him. The beautiful thing about prioritizing the gospel is that other things don't, other people don't get sacrificed. They get made whole. They get made whole. So do this. Memorize the gospel. Quiz each other. Meditate on the gospel. Love it. Talk about it. Commit yourselves to it. Remind one another every day and every week this is the most important thing. I will consider the last five years to be successful only if you hold on to the gospel. And you must hold on to it. I don't know if you call it verse 2, the end of it. The gospel is the news through which you are being saved if you hold firmly to the message. If you hold firmly. Paul wrote this. He wrote it here because some of the Corinthians were endangering, in danger of letting the gospel slip from their hands. They had released their grip. And he writes to them as their pastor, exhorting them, hold on to Jesus. Only Jesus. Lose everything else, but hold on to Jesus. Make the good news about Jesus the first thing on the agenda at the board meeting. 
Make it the last thing you talk about when you leave your small group. Ask the people in your group, have you given thanks for the gospel this week? Have you meditated on the gospel this week? Have you given yourself to Jesus again? This is what I leave with you. Final words as your pastor. In this place, this congregation. Treasure Jesus. Treasure the gospel. Make it the priority of your life and this church. And all will be well. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to read. It would be better for the last thing you hear to be the scriptures than anything I could muster. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel, that I proclaim to you which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I hand it on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org slash sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.